they're even recording it, so if I actually do answer it, it's probably uh, good to be with you. Thanks for coming out. I appreciate the time. Let's pray. God of grace, be with us tonight. Uh, help us rest in you. Uh, help us feel your presence. Do everything you need to get our attention. Uh, help us feel your spirit. Upholding us, leading us, correcting us. Opening up our imagination of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to say first, I'm so th- I, I was with you a few months ago, which seems like like six weeks ago, and I know it was longer than that. I'm so grateful for the work of Stephen Ministry. As I've been starting to get around the, the congregation, I keep running into people going, my Stephen Minister, my Stephen Minister, my Stephen Minister. I'm deeply grateful. This is a ministry that to me is the Acts First Century Church coming back to life. So, uh, thank you for doing that. Um, uh, I want to know in a minute why you're really here, but so think about that. Um, about 30 years ago, Rabbi Kushner uh, wrote a book. What was the title of that book? No, it was when bad things and there is the pivot of my entire talk. Sorry, Dan. I, I, I want to leave you in suspense. I think we wish Rabbi Kushner or anybody else had written why bad things happen. He didn't write that book. That book has never been written. Okay. So that's where we're going to start. And so if you want to leave me, I'll close my eyes and you can go. Um, but th- therein lies, I think, the great... Uh, we want that answer to why, and we don't get it. So when you think of Scripture, what do you think of about pain and suffering in God? What parts of Scripture do you think of? Job. Job. Okay, thank you. Nice. Uh, Should have paid you for that. So the end of the book of Job goes like this. So there's 42 chapters. You know the basic story. Um, Job is the topic of a bet between God, you know, so, and we'll not, we're not going to get into that tonight. Um, and then three friends show up who were not Stephen Ministry trained. It's very clear they were not Stephen Ministry trained. Because uh, they, what? They listen at first, but they don't stay there. They start trying to solve it. And so this is the very end of the book of Job. And then Job answered the Lord. Um, you know, basically God shows up and goes, I'm sorry, I didn't see you on creation. Uh, where, where were you? And then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who, uh, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you and you will declare to me. I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now, if you have a Bible or you want to look later, that is Job 42, verse 6, which is the end of the, the book. Except it's not, because the church didn't like that that was the end, that all this thing ends with I repent in dust and ashes. And so, much like the Gospel of Mark, where the women leave the tomb afraid on Easter Day, end of Gospel, but then they have these weird verses about snakes and all that stuff because they had to round out the, the ending. There's another two paragraphs where they try to say that everything was restored to Job, and it really turned out okay. <laughs> the thing is, he gets double the cattle back, double everything else back. He doesn't get his kids back. And they kind of gloss over um, the Bible has all the way through had a difficult time with um, pain and suffering and God and evil, um, which means we are in good company. So the point tonight, I, again, I'm not going to answer this. And frankly, I think answering it has done way more harm than good in uh, most of our lives in the life of the church. So, I, and I want you to think of this. I'm going to give you a few of these. I've actually heard these. I've actually, embarrassed to say, I've actually spoken a couple of these. But because what we want to do when there's pain and suffering is we want to say something. We want to fix it. And so, just see if you've heard any of these. I know how you feel. God needed another angel. 
So my uh, brother-in-law, who is a wonderful guy, I'm an only child, he really was like the sibling I never had. He committed suicide 21 years ago when he was 33. He was the life of the party, a great guy. He had some demons, he couldn't shake them. Uh, but he was the guy that he was there, the whole room just gravitated to Phil. He was wonderful. And we're at, we are just shattered at his visitation in central Illinois. And an older woman who I knew from growing up actually came up and said that to me. Uh, and I go, you didn't know Phil very well if you think he's an angel. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, hor- it's a horrible thing to say. Um, theologically, that is bankrupt. Uh, but we'll not get into that. Uh, this is my favorite trifecta. Uh, this is part of God's plan. It's God's will. God is in control. Now, there's actually some elements of truth there, but that's a horrific thing to say in most times when we're facing the enormity of this. This is part of God's plan. It is God's will. God is in control. What's wrong with any of those, do you think? Now that I told you they're bad, you don't have to speak in support of them. It doesn't talk about sin. Doesn't talk about sin? Okay. God's will was never done for us to help him. That's right. Yep. Yep. What else? Well, and Job didn't get an answer. That's right. And according to a Princeton man that I heard, <laughs> he said that he gets an answer, but not until the resurrection. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What else? What's wrong with that? Well, he's pretty angry at God. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's not a lot of room for that. And if it's part of God's plan, that sets us on a place of conformity. Yeah. What else? No room, no room for free will. Yeah. No, yeah, free will, that thing. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> it's been on, in all the papers, yeah. No release. There's no release. Yeah. Right. And the one that may be hardest for us is God is in control, because the other side of that is a hard, dark place. We'll come back to that. Um, she's in a better place. Yes. And what does that matter when you've just lost the person you most love? Um, you can have, and I've actually heard these, you can have another child. It's good that you have other friends. It was his time. You have to be strong for your kids, your parents, your friends, you know, fill in the blank. What does that do? Yeah, it's a burden. You just when you need to kind of fall apart, you can't fall apart. Yeah, it doesn't allow for anything. It, it just shuts things down and just says, you're carrying this grief, now you've got to carry more. Um, God, and this is my favorite one, God never gives us more than we can handle. Have you ever heard that or said that? Yeah. From the pulpit in this church. Not in the last nine months. <laughs> Although I have my bad, I have my off days, so I, I'm not saying I won't. You know, I love the sentiment of that. That again, the problem, and I'll get to. Well, let me one more. Well, no, that's the. Um, a lot of these speak to characteristics of God that I actually agree with. Okay, I believe God has unending capacity. The fundamental theological conviction of my life is the sovereignty of God. God is God. We are not. God has. We are creatures. God is creator. I agree with all that. But i got to tell you, there have been times in my life when God has given me more than I can handle. Um, and it's almost like I should be coasting. It, you know, and, and that gets into you should be over your grief or, or everything else. Um, the last one, which is going to open up what we're doing. I can't imagine what you are going through right now. Now, that actually doesn't sound bad. I think we're here, though, to try to imagine what it's like to go through this. Uh, I'm going to take as a given, and if I'm wrong, uh, we can talk about it. it. There's not one person here who hasn't faced a crushing loss in your life. I'm just positive of that. You cannot live long on this life without facing something that just empties you out. Um, I also take it as a given that we have been met with wonderful care from church, from God, from others, and times that we wanted to smack someone. <laughs> I'm also going to take it as a given that we've been the one who said these things and should have been smacked, every one of us, at some point or another, for uh, saying something that turned out to be just so hurtful, inappropriate, or hard. Um, why do we do this? Why do we say these things? 
Well-meaning, loving, strong, faithful people say this. We say, I say this. Why do we do that? We've got to say something. Got to say something. We want to fix it. We want to fix it. We're good at fixing. This is a room filled with people who like to fix things. <laughs> what else? And you're good at it, by the way, from what I can tell. We don't like feeling pain. Yeah. Anesthetize something. Yeah. Take it away. Kind of relieves our own discomfort. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. We're so uncomfortable, we have to. Yeah. Absolutely. We don't like loose ends. And we think that God doesn't have loose ends. I think, see, I want to both do the interpersonal but also the theological. We, I guarantee you we don't like loose ends. We don't like things dangling out there, um, unresolved. Uh, but we for sure want to make sure God, I love the hymn, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise, Unchangeable, whatever, but I don't believe it's very good theology because I actually think God is a God both of, God is both a rock, someplace we can stand. God is also a God of some loose ends. And I point you to Holy Week, and we can talk more about that. I mean, I think the cross presented as a loose end um, that then God overcame. But I don't think God is a God of packing things down. Over two-thirds of Scripture, our Scripture, were written uh, in the Jewish tradition, which loved loose ends, talked endlessly about loose ends, debated loose ends, and went right at it. Now, some of you, I did the women's luncheon uh, a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to go into those lament psalms, but the Jewish tradition is you take God by the lapels and you say, be the God you promised to be. We Protestants are so polite. We'll say, God, I know that you just probably had an off day and maybe you were looking the other way just for a moment and I'm really, I'm sorry to bother you. I know you've got lots of other things, but... Um, a Jewish person will come up to God and say, come on, you know, show up and, and produce the promises that you have talked about since Genesis. Um, so I kind of want to talk a little bit about that. Um, I'm going to give you some stuff. I, I mostly want to get at this through poetry because and I want to go to what you're saying we want to fix it. I want us to get out of our heads. I think the reason we say these things is we think we've got to have a rational through line on pain and suffering and grief. It's not here. I'm telling you both as a pastor who has sat, in, as you, and I know many of you have in your roles, who have sat in, 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 by the bedside of pain. I'm also talking about, you know, a little bit about my story and my wife. You know, 15 years of praying to God to make this better. It didn't get better. So, I mean, I, I think I've earned both my professional and my personal stripes. Just as you have um, on this stuff, okay? Um, this is a poem by Todd Davis called Prayer Request at a Mennonite Church. Pray for the Smucker family. Their son Nathaniel's coat and shirt were caught in the gears of while grinding grain. Nothing would give, so now he is gone. We made his clothes too well. Perhaps this is our sin. Pray for the Berkey family. Their son Jacob fell to his death in the granary. He was covered in corn before they could stop the pouring. Chest crushed by the weight, seed spilling from his mouth. We hope something will grow from this besides our grief. Pray for the Hartzler family. Their youngest has left the church and no longer believes Christ died for her sins. She buys her clothes at the mall, tongue pierced, nose as well. Her shirt shows her belly where a ring of gold sprouts. We pray that she will remember her Lord's side was pierced and that his crown held no gold, only the dried blood of his brow. Pray for the Miller family. Last week, their daughter, who lives in Kelowna, lost her baby at birth, child only half-formed, head turned the wrong way, heart laid on the outside of her chest, one leg little more than an afterthought. Lord, help them to know that life may come again, that we are all made whole in heaven. Pray for the Stutzman family. Their son fights in the war. We call him back to the Prince of Peace, to our Savior who knelt to gather the slave's ear, brushed the dirt away, lifted it to the side of his flushed face. May we leave no scars. May we ask no blessing for the killing done in his name. What do you think about that? What? Yeah. It's raw. Thank you. Yeah. What else? 
deeply faithful. Every one of these prayers addressed to God. Deeply faithful. Um, it is also boundaried by expectation of God. Um, it is also focused on what to pray. There's a, both a lament, a repentance, and a hope all mixed together. So that's one thing I want to say about pain and suffering in God. Lament and pain, but also promise and expectation are almost always put together in a ball. Um, I find that we as Christians tend to get ourselves wrapped up and not able to go forward when we try to separate those out. I don't think God separates those out. I draw you again to Good Friday. Pain and loss, expectation and promise, all together. Um, when you are facing a dark night of the soul, or you're helping somebody else face it because of this, I would encourage you to look and see is how you're approaching this wrapped up in both acknowledging the pain and the loss and the repentance, but also the promise and the expectation. If they are pulled apart, chances are we're not going to be really good witnesses to the hope of God. When they're together, even though it will be difficult, I think it actually comes close to honoring um, what, what God is, is, is up to. <clears throat> For those of you who were at the retreat last week, uh, last weekend, we spent some time talking about water and water as joy and terror. Uh, water is promised, particularly seen in baptism, and also thirst, uh, and also uh, and both a metaphorical thirst and a, thirst and a real thirst. And um, water is justice. But we used Isaiah 43, which I was trying to search for another passage for this. But frankly, this is my go-to passage. Uh, this and and frankly, Matthew 6 were my two go-to go passages for my own life and my ministry. So I'm going to offer this to you again. This is Isaiah 43, 1 through 7. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Sheba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east. And from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. The word of the Lord. Uh, what we talked about at the retreat, I just want to lift up to you in this. Again, this is Isaiah 43, 1 through 7, and I'll, I'll give you a copy of it in a minute, too. Uh, when you pass through the waters, when you walk through the fire, does not say if. <laughs> kind of like that Kushner title that we want to change. No. Um, I would never say this pastorally. I, I learned a few things in seminary. But when people come and say, why me? What I want to say theologically is, why not you? What gives you a sense that we get, or any of us get a free pass in life? Um, and I think my experience is in helping people dealing with the, uh, the pain and suffering and then where's God, is that people, not people out there, we, me, burn up a lot of energy with the why me. That is wasted energy. I'm just telling you, it is wasted energy. It's... People may need to do that for a minute before they figure out that they're pedaling fast and not getting anywhere. The quicker, the, the, the best way to move them over to the why not and then how do I cope with it, I think is then we're in God's rich garden. If we want to argue the, the intellectual part about why, it's not going to get very far. You know, when people have told me, I can't believe in God because bad things happen, I'm like, well, then you're not going to have any belief system because, you know, we're in a world where that, that is difficult. Um, 
so I think that's um, that's mostly what I, I and I, I want to take some questions because I, I want to leave a lot of time for this. Um, I think we have to be very attentive that people and, and some of this I know for those of you who are student ministers, but let me just say it so we're all on the same page. There is no pattern to going through this. With all due respect to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross stages of grief, you know, we all know that that is now usually from three to five to one to four to two and back to four and back to two and back to five. Um, I appreciate her work and others that followed with her. The problem is we like nothing more than a list. And now I can go one, and I can check it off and I can seem like I'm making progress. The one thing grief dealing with pain and suffering will do is thwart any sense that we're making progress um, in the progress sort of way we love. There's not a checklist. As we're walking beside people, we need to take them where they are. Second thing, and I think it's why we say all those dumb things, is that we need, and you, you all said this, we need to make sense of it. And we need to help them make sense of it. And we need to fix it. There is no making sense of it. Bad things happen. You know, you can, you can rationalize a loving God, a powerful God, and evil. You can ra- rationalize two of those three at any point. Okay? God is loving and powerful. You can do that, but you can't then say bad things happen. You can say God is powerful and bad things happen because you can say, well, God isn't loving. You can say God is loving and bad things happen so long as you don't posit that God is powerful. You try to put the three together, it will not work. This side of paradise, it will not work. And any attempt to do it will have us, I think, doing more harm than good. The reason I'm a Christian and not a Buddhist or a Muslim or a Hindu or a Jain or a Sikh, as much as I appreciate the faithfulness of those traditions in their own way, is that I've got to have the cross. I have to have crucifixion. Uh, the only way I can make sense of the world, the only way I can make sense of the Holocaust, the only way I can make sense uh, of a uh, death of a child or uh, an earthquake in Ecuador, that what's the, the total up to? It's some horrific amount. Um, or the next whatever, which you know will come. The only way I can do that is look at the self-emptying nature of the love of God uh, in Holy Week, and how Jesus, you know, the Philippians 2 passage, Jesus emptied himself and went there, and went there willingly, and didn't try to do a shortcut, and then God redeemed that through Easter, as only God can do. You know, it is an important thing in our faith not to say Jesus rose. The theologically correct thing to say is God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you. It's a huge thing in theology. Because to say Jesus rose, it's kind of like he programmed himself to you know, kind of go offline and then come back online. No, God did that. God chose to take what the world, the worst the world had done in the person of Jesus, his son, and then raise him. That's the redemption. Some of you said it. This side of Easter, we're not going to understand this. Um, but we, that's the only way I know to make sense of this. But look what it left behind. It's significant to say that the Easter Jesus is scarred. It would be another thing to say Jesus came back and there were, you know, Thomas couldn't find the nail holes. Well, yes, he could. Um, he couldn't put his hand in the side. Yes, he could. The Easter Jesus is scarred. That is our reminder that God's love will redeem this but not erase it. And that's an important balance. Um, what are your thoughts? I've got more stuff, but that's, a, that's enough. <laughs> where, where do you want to go with that? Um, yeah. I just have a question about that ball you were talking about at the first. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't get the repent part. Well, I mean, I think there's a sense in which, particularly Job repented for, let's thank you for that catch. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, Job repented for being arrogant, thinking he could figure it out, or he was entitled. I do not want to come close to people sin and therefore punished by bad things, because um, well, the text I was reading this morning, you, you, you know, the, the the rain falls on the just and unjust. That 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 gets us into something we don't want to be, and is not the character of God. Uh, however, we sometimes make choices which lead us into pain and suffering. That's there too. I'm mostly talking tonight about. <clears throat> the things that befall us that are 
as much as we can say it, not our fault. You know, the things that happen to us that come upon us. Um, I will never understand the death of a child. Um, I will never understand having to watch a parent bury a child. Um, I've had that in my own family, not my child, but um, my brother-in-law, as I talked about. Uh, there's no, no one has ever said anything to me with that that has made any sense in human terms or theological terms. And I think as Christians, we need to be able to say, we mostly have to fall silent. We mostly have to listen. And then there will be a time when the love of God can come back in. But it's not, you know, it's not in the, let's put it all together in our heady way. What else? Questions? What does that do with Romans 8.28? In all things. God works together for good? Yeah, I believe that. Uh, that's, that's to me Easter. What that does, and I, I mean, the <clears throat> Romans 31-39 is, one of my favorite, you know, nothing will separate us from the love of God. I totally believe that. I totally believe God works together for good. I don't think that means God goes back and fixes things and makes it okay. That, to me, is the rub here. It's a hard one. Um, but it's, it's a true one. I do not believe God ever leaves us. Ever. That's what I'll stake my life on. God never leaves us. I do not think God goes back and fixes parts of our life that are broken necessarily. And for me, the question is, why does sometimes that happen and sometimes not? Well, and the end result is back to the resurrection. It is. It's all about Easter for me. Yeah. Yeah. Could you elaborate Sounds like something I would say. <laughs> I'd start to start talking and then things. We play that back. Yeah, we could. We could. Let's play the transcript. Um, if we are asking the question, why me? That's a very. And okay, I'm just going to say this. This isn't the way I would deal with someone in pain grief. Okay, this is taking a little bit larger look. To ask the question, why me, is a very individualistic question. I, I am a victim. I am suffering. Um, I, and you, again, I feel like I'm overlapping risks. I really do think individualism is one of the big toxic things that is fighting our faith right now. The New Testament and the Old Testament assume community. The Enlightenment kind of obliterated that a little bit. Now we think we're these agents that we're somehow entitled to something that other people don't get. I think the gentle move over to why not is not to say, see, you're, I mean, I don't want to say, you've got it, everyone else has got it just as bad as you. I don't mean that. I do mean it moves us to a place of humility where we realize the job is to work on this our whole life long. We're not going to get to a place where we fix it. I, um, Job didn't get his kids back. Okay? So, and I, I really think that's a heretical part of the Bible. You know, God restored the fortunes of Job. No, no, he didn't. You know, he's still grieving the rest of his life. Um, so it's to move us though off ourselves. One of the things depression does, and one of the things intense grief does, and it's particularly the grief. It's okay for a season, but not forever. Is that we have to put this immense focus on ourselves. In my own experience of grief, but also working with people, sooner or later, though, people will say something like, "I've got to get out of myself. I got to get out of my head." I've got, to get, I, I've got to get back in touch with people. Usually we withdraw during grief, and that's necessary. But sooner or later, we need to start making tentative steps to reach out our, our, our hands and, and grasp others. I think it is the work of ministry and pastors and Stephen ministers, when the time is right, very gently, to show how that can begin to happen very tentatively. That, to me, is the move from why me... To not, why not is too is too colloquial, but back to there are promises here that are available for everybody. Does that make sense? Okay. What else? It seems to me that in that poem and in <clears throat> thinking of this, that throughout the Bible it asks us to stay in the question without answers. Yep. That faith is about remaining in the question. And so if I'm I'm with someone that is grieving there are no answers. It's to be comfortable staying in the question. But I don't know if, if that's the solution to that or whatever. Yeah, the only thing I'd say is um, 
I get tired of saying the questions. I'll just be myself. I get kind of tired of that. I think that is true because that's an openness. Sooner or later, though, I want to say our God is more powerful than us. I don't. That's not use probably the first word for people who grieve because it's going to feel like a. Uh, putting the icing in it, or a better analogy is probably when we have a moldy wall and we paint, you know, let's put some God on it and paint it up. We know that mold's going to come back through. <laughs> but sooner or later, I want to be able to say Easter is durable, and it's the reason we can have breath and life. Um, that's always a matter of, I think, the Spirit leading us when it's time to proclaim that. I don't think we rush into that. But sooner or later, I do think there's an ultimate answer, but it is cross and resurrection. You know, we... Paul did a lot, went a lot of places, but he only had one. He, people were accused of preachers only have really one sermon that we preach over and over again. Uh, you can ask me in a year whether that's true. Um, Paul only had one sermon. I am here to proclaim to you Christ and crucified and risen, over and over and over and over again. But interesting, just because it was Easter, he didn't leave the crucifixion behind. I mean, in, in my perfect world, the church is as filled on Good Friday as it is on Easter Day. I don't, I don't think I'll ever see that. Um, because I think we have to take seriously the crucifixion. The crucifixion to me is when God's love meets its ultimate destination in the world and sets up God overcoming it two days later. Okay, But to me, the two have to be held constantly together. Um, and, and that to me is the initial addressing this. What else? Does this make sense or have I just left you all? Or I, okay. Mentioned the verse um, that's not great to say, uh, you know, um, God never gives us anything more than we can handle. Right. And then the Bible, I think it also says, without Him. So, what are, um, you know, things that are, are biblical that are healthy to tell people encouragement? And, you know, I mean, are there other ways that, I mean, I think scripture is a great way to move that, but obviously that verse tends people go to. And, not well yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, I would, I would read a lot of lament psalms to begin with. We've got it in the Bible. We've, we've got the way to deal with this in the Bible, which is to just give voice to it. Um, how many people? Uh, you don't have to put up your hands. Rhetorical, but when we are in grief, how how often have you felt radioactive? You know. Um, you, you, it's like, and no one will say it, and everyone means the best. Please don't hear this as judging, but people are thinking, I thought this. I feel so embarrassed when I do. I think they should have gotten over that by now. Okay? You, you know what I mean? We don't mean that. But how many, oh, I, I don't know what to say to her or to him, so I'll just go another way. Okay? I've already talked to him twice about it. I don't know if I can bring it up again. Will that hurt or will that help? Okay, you know, that, That's what I mean by radioactivity. We, we back away from people because we just don't know how they're doing. We can't read their minds. It's been six months since something happened. Is that a long time or a short amount of time? Is this a good day or a bad day? You are never going to know. We are not going to be able to get people to wear color-coded T-shirts, come toward me, stay away from me in a given day. One thing that I think helps with that is the lament songs, which is the full-throated voice of the people of God saying, my life is not fitting together, my world is not fitting together, but God, despite it all, I'm going to put myself in your hands. Notice there is no rationality to that. Um, which, so one of my favorite phrases, you cannot put data into a feeling system. Grief is a feeling, you cannot put data into it. You cannot put logic into a feeling system. You, if someone is, think, think trying to reason with a four-year-old in a tantrum. Is really any rational word going to help? No, it's not. Well, we're kind of four-year-olds when it comes to pain and suffering. What we need is to feel a presence. What we need is to feel that people actually care. We do not need a treatise on theodicy and the ways of God at that point. If people may come back to that, that's fine, but that's not it. We also, and this is a big one for me, we do, shouldn't, in my view, never try to represent God, speak for God, or um, try to locate God for another person. I think we can give them scripture, which does some of that, but we should not be the ones. That's some of that bad wisdom. We're trying to do God's work. Um, so if the sovereignty of God, that God holds all in all, is one core belief of mine. Another one is the Spirit's at work all the time. 
We do not have to do it all. We do not have. I'm going to say we do not have to do it all. The Spirit of God is alive and well and working in the hearts and minds of every single person, especially those who have been crushed by something. We need to be partners with the Spirit. We need to be helpful. We do not think that God hasn't shown up until we show up with our wisdom, our words, or our logic. I think that's really important. So in that sense, I think almost any scripture will be okay. But I would say a multitude of it, because I can't guess when someone is in the depths of grief and coming out of it. So I both want to read Romans 8, and I want to read Psalm 22. You know, and to me, in the end, they're, they're one witness. What else? <laughs> I feel like I just blitzed you all. <laughs> like, you're all like, when is he going to leave? <laughs> yeah. Something that reminded me of a comment you made at the women's luncheon mm-hmm. that has really, really stuck with me. You, you didn't quite finish what you said, I mean, what you said at the luncheon, Mr. Yeah, sure. but it's to give grief a voice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that was huge because I think so many times, even those who who are going through that grief period, they have trouble giving it. Right. Yeah, to give grief a voice, which is what I think the lament psalms do. I also think it's what the church does. If you've been around me much, you know that I am fairly focused on the fact that we need to have worship as the highest priority of the people of God. One reason is, I have had, in every church I've been in, I've had multiple people who have lost someone dear to them, or just in a horrible time. And they'll show up with teeth gritted at worship, and they will not sing, and they won't say the creed, and they won't do the prayers. They are there to listen to everybody else doing it for them. That, if you want to know why we're the body of Christ, that's why we're the body of Christ. I need, sometimes need someone to sing hallelujah when I cannot sing hallelujah. I need someone to pray the Lord's Prayer when I am mad as hell at God, and I'm not going to pray right now. But other people are. And slowly that brings me back. Because then I look around and go, they've lost somebody and they've lost somebody and they've been in pain and this has happened and they're able to do it and all of a sudden I'm back into the community. Slowly, whatever. So that's, I think, a deeper part of that. We do need to give voice to that. We also need, frankly, not to be so polite. You all are really good people, but on Sunday mornings, you dress up and you all take showers, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) At least once a week, probably on Saturday night, if not more. And we mostly show up here. I am so admiring of people who um, show up and cry, (laughs) you know, and don't look like they got it all together. That's hard to do in Westlake, okay? In my last congregation, there was a dentist uh, who, uh, 20 years before I got there, had his license suspended for uh, molesting patients while uh, they were under anesthesia. It's horrible. Um, when I got there, and he had gotten his license restored, well, when I got there, like two weeks later, he uh, failed a polygraph, which was he had to take all the time, which basically I think he was watching pornography on the Internet. I, I think that's what it was. Um, Everybody thought um, that dentist would never come back to church. And he was humiliated and ashamed, and he never missed a Sunday. That takes real courage. And what really warmed me was, there were people, I mean, this is not a group of saints. There were people who were like this, and there were people particularly who kept their children away from him. There were also people who walked up and gave him a hug. That's the body of Christ, in grief, doing what we can do. It's hard work. It's messy work. It's awkward work. We've got to some, that's why I like the lament psalms, and that's why I like the Jewish tradition of lament so much, because it punctures our politeness. Politeness to me is an enemy of grief. It just is. Um, And that's when we really are going, you know, how much longer are they going to be doing this? And we don't mean to do that, but we do it. But partly I think we're doing that because we're embarrassed. Not for them, but for ourselves. Because it reminds us that we also are on pretty fragile ground sometimes. What else? <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking that that uh, scripture that says pour out your heart mm-hmm. for God, it, it would be a wonderful encouragement. Yep. And like the Jewish, you said, it's just, if you're, encourage them to just let it all out yeah. with God. Yeah. Because when that, that releases a lot and then release. And that's what I would encourage us to do as a community is 
behavior modify approve that. I mean, when someone is a mess, let them be a mess. You know, give you know, give them a hug, embrace them, pray for them, pray with them. Say thank you for being here. I know it's hard. That's the giving voice. I know this is hard. I know that this is not this is not good. But when we start um, offering the fixing language, then what we're sending, sending multiple messages, including you probably should get with this because here's the, the the list. There is no list. Again, there is no list. We've just got to do that. What else? You didn't see me last Sunday when I saw Darling Bridges. Edith Johnson, and I haven't seen her in a year, and I burst into tears, and I couldn't, I actually couldn't, mm-hmm. and Diane Flaku went up for me, mm-hmm. and you know, I just fled. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So, you're probably going to hear this in a sermon sometime, but... I'll give it to you as a sneak preview, but you've got to pretend you've never heard it. Um, there you go. This is like a sneak preview. Um, uh, so there's a woman who broke up. This is in New York City a few years ago. There's a woman who her boyfriend dumped her one day. And what she realized in subsequent weeks was that she was picking lunch places. She worked somewhere in Manhattan. She was picking lunch places by where she could have a good cry at lunch because she was having a hard time getting through it. This spawned a website, the best places to cry in New York City. <laughs> the number one place as ranked by many people who got, and I guess it just, as soon as you put it up, you just got flooded with responses. The best, just in case you're ever in New York City, you may want to write this down. Um, the best place to cry in New York City is the Build-A-Bear Workshop on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> it is described as a perfect place to cry. They embrace you. The second best place, very interestingly, is the ATM at 5th Avenue and 48, which is described as a good in-and-out utilitarian place to cry. Um, it goes on and on, lists all these wild places where you could feel. And they also list places you shouldn't. Do not go to the AT&T store near Bryant Park. They are not a good place. They do not like criers in their store. The interesting thing about the list, and, it, and now it, it's been several years, so there's lots of them. Not one church is on the list. Not one church. Let that sink in for a minute. What does it mean that our witness to our culture is that we are not the place when you're at your most vulnerable you can come and be embraced? That to me just was, it stabbed my heart. Um, I want Westlake Hills to be a place where anybody can come in here during the week or on Sunday morning in front of God and everybody and fall apart. Um, if that's not the witness to our faith, and particularly the Good Friday, Easter truths of our faith, I don't know what it is. Something is wrong that we, and it's not just here, it's every church I've ever served. We've become the performance place where we, I'm doing fine. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing okay. Okay is probably the lowest rung we get. <laughs> you know, um, Man, and if you're doing okay, that's wonderful. If you're doing great, let's praise God and sing the doxology. But if, you, if, if we're not doing okay, this should be the place where we know there are people to receive that. And not just receive it, but say we worship a God who's going to take all the pain and the suffering right into God's self. Okay? So, um, I'm going to close and then I'll give you these. But I knew if I gave them to you, you'd read them and you wouldn't listen. So I'm, gonna, I'm on to your tricks. Um, I, I also, there's two other things that I didn't have time to get to. One is, you've had Cindy Rigby here, right, from Austin yeah. Seminary. She just this week wrote a wonderful column in Presbyterian Outlook about where the Spirit of the Lord is, about the death of her grandmother. So I'll give you that. It's really a wonderful, uh, just a wonderful article about God's Spirit. I, I think we underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we, we think we're going to start speaking in tongues and be Pentecostal. You know, the, 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 the Holy Spirit of God is powerful. As we come up to Pentecost, we need to trust that. Uh, also, Raymond Carver. Do you know Raymond Carver? Really? Uh, he, well, not surprised. He died in 1988 at age of like 50. Um, he uh, was an author, a short story, and a, a poet. He lived a very difficult life. Um, uh, he, um, he got clean and sober. And had 10 good years and then died of cancer at age 50. Um, so, and he looked back at his life with great regret, with great thankfulness. There's a, a poem in here called At Least that I just put in. It's a lot happier than I thought maybe I'd 
pull us out of the, the hard stuff here. But, but I'm not going to pull you out with this last thing. This is a poem called Excerpts from a Field Guide to Getting Lost. Okay, fasten your seatbelts. Uh, if you have a compass, smash it. Nothing can point you to true anything, let alone true north. Besides, and never forget this, you are trying to get lost. You may be gone for a long time, so be sure not to pack any food or water. It is only the hungry who feed, only the thirsty who are quenched. I'll give you that line again. It is only the hungry who feed, it is only the thirsty who get quenched. Before you leave, be sure to write a note telling everyone exactly where you will not be. The last thing you need is someone coming to your rescue. Now, find the best map possible and tear it up. You will be traveling on a scale that no one has ever drawn. Do not leave a string of crumbs behind you. They'd only attract predators. On second thought, go ahead. Write postcards telling everyone of your adventures. Be sure to lie like a fox leaving false tracks. Someday, they will thank you. You will not know when you've arrived. But if you think you have, you haven't. If you think you haven't, you probably have. If you come to a fork in the road, stab yourself in the foot with it. You will reach your destination much faster if you are limping. Better yet, use it to pluck out your own eyes. There are many signposts along the way. Maybe now you will learn to see. Um, if we begin seeing that pain and suffering are part of our lives, that God walks with us with that, we're going to go so much deeper. If we all, I don't think I'd have to take it a vote, that it's inevitable that we have pain and suffering, but I would like us not just to come to terms with it, but embrace it. Not as something God wills on us, but that God will use every single time. Often with God crying God's self in the midst of that. I believe that. I, God, I believe God's heart is the first heart to break and God's tears are the first tears to shed. Again, I draw you to Holy Week. But God will drive us deeper with God. We will learn a dependence and a community that we've never, ever seen before. So, um, any last thoughts, questions? Absolutely. Healthy. Faithful. You can't, you can't do that unless you have a relationship. Notice all the people who yelled at God. They had a relationship with God. They'll give God heck, but they will not break relationship. That is not an unfaithful thing to do. <laughs> Maybe it's a little mixed up there. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's really cool. Yeah. Well, people have shared this before, and it's been very meaningful to others, but to me. Yeah. Uh, and there have been times that that made me feel all right to yell at God when I was when I needed to. To not be able, yeah, to not be able to yell at God, I think is an idolatrous thing to do. It means that we are so powerful, we will actually put a dent in God. I do not believe that. I do not believe that. Mark, can you address how how to talk to somebody who maybe doesn't believe in God, Mm -hmm. who is having faith issues, and who is suffering, and who would frankly be repelled by uh, a suggestion that you'll pray for them or read you something from the Bible? Wow, there's a lot in that question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, we're, uh, didn't you say anything? <laughs> um, well, number one, I, uh, I mean, I say I'll pray for him, but that's going to offend him. I'm going to pray for him. You know, and, you know, there's both the prayer and then the, the notice that you're praying for him. I would pray for him like crazy. Um, people need to be listened to. Um, they need to be embraced. They need to know that they don't have leprosy or be radioactive. That to me is Christian, non-Christian, basic human caring, which I think emanates from the heart of Christ. But is it for anybody? And I think we can do that with anybody. Um, I think presence is more important than words. Um, 
so I would just do those things. And if the time comes, if, if you know them well, they say, well, how do you cope with this? I would not whip out my full testimony. But I would say, for me, this is how I get through it. Okay? I mean, when someone asks me how I have survived 15 years of watching the woman I love completely deteriorate to nothing, I say it's Matthew 6. Take no account for anything but today. Tomorrow has worries for itself. Today is the day. And every morning my prayer is, help me be faithful today. That's how I get through it. That's not how everyone gets through it. That's how I get through it. Um, there are ways, I think, to say this is... Paul Tillich, great theologian of the 20th century, said his, his primary witness is, I can only tell you what I have seen and tell you a little bit of what I've heard. Jesus Christ is risen today. Okay? Uh, that's for me is how I get through. You could share that. It's not the time for philosophizing. It's not the time for theology. It is a time to be human and connect with that. And that, that's, that's a very short answer to a really complicated thing. I don't think we need to back away from our faith. And I don't think people expect us to. I think they expect us to be human and not be obnoxious about our faith. Uh, particularly like we've, we've got all the answers. No one has the answers in grief. I guarantee you. We'll get knocked off balance every time. What else? You look, if I could just take your picture right now. You look like, Whoa! Can this? Um, I think this is one of the most important things uh, we need to do as a, a family of faith is uh, get a lot deeper with this. I really do, and a lot better, and and drop the illusion that we're all put together just fine because we're not. There were, I don't know you well enough, although I'm getting there. But in other churches, I've been so tempted some Sunday to say, third row, stand up, alcoholic, had an affair, <laughs> lost a job, you know, okay. I mean, I won't do it. I promise I'll never do that. But, but, what, I would, but what I would love to do... If you all show up a paper bag, the thing is, I think part of our dealing with this starts with the idea that we're all we're all burdened by this at some level, in some way, and we're fooling each other if we think that's not true. Um, I, we do not need to all wear posters saying this is my thing. We do need to approach each other with very tender hearts, knowing that man, we are taking the best steps we can today. And we're going to do it humbly, both with God and with neighbor. But knowing that I may not know your pain, but I know it's in there somewhere. And so let's be very tender with each other. Try to build each other up. Try and try to listen carefully and love carefully with one another. And then when we blow it, when we time it wrong, and I think you're ready for a word of hope, and you're like, I can't, then you just apologize and go, I understand. You know, I, I mean, that's we just need to do that. We need to be much more. We need to be less polite. And way more sort of on that. So thanks so much uh, for this. I really appreciate it. Uh, here are, I'll just leave them here. These are the poems I read and a couple other things if you'd like it. And uh, it's good to be with you. I, have me back. I promise I'll like do a happy thing next time. Okay? <laughs> I, I really. I, yeah, I will. I will do something else. I promise.